Welcome to the third episode of Snooze Hoops. Today is Wednesday, March 27th. My name is Casey Harrison with fellow State News basketball reporter Chase Michelson. Chase, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm ready for Washington, D.C. Not you. Not Des Moines, Washington. No, not Des Moines, Washington. Not Des Moines, Iowa. Washington, D.C. We're doing it. Let's do it. Uh, We're from our State News studio in downtown East Lansing. In today's episode, we're going to discuss the Spartans' first and second round wins in the NCAA tournament and preview the Sweet 16. For Michigan State's independent student voice, this is News Hoops. So our first topic for today, um, in the first round of the NCAA tourna- tournament, Michigan State narrowly avoided disaster against 15th seed of Bradley. They won 76-65 last Thursday. In the first half, Bradley came out. Uh, they were on fire from three and actually out-rebounded Michigan State. The 15th seed of Braves led 35-34 at the break. Uh, what did you see from that, Chase? Yeah, Bradley came out with a lot more energy than Michigan State did. I think that's fair to say. Um, the crowd was very overwhelmingly pro Overwhelmingly pro-Bradley. There was, what was it, a four-hour drive from Peoria? So they had a lot of fans that came out. And not to mention, I mean, there were a lot of Michigan fans there. There was a lot of Minnesota fans there, um, all of which, you know, were very anti-Spartans. And pro-underdog. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody cheers for an upset. Any 15 seed, you're going to have everyone else rooting for that 15 seed, especially a team that was playing the way Bradley was playing. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you saw it mostly in the second half, but it, it started to lament itself in the first half. Michigan State played like they didn't want to lose. You know, they were playing very tight. Um, Kenny Gwynn said after the game that it there there was a case of, like, first-round jitters, you know. Um, and I, I think, especially in the upperclassmen's minds, their mantra was to win the weekend. Um, you see it in their, their play. You know, they made some key turnovers. They missed some defensive assignments, especially um, a certain freshman named Aaron Henry. Yeah, we'll get to that. I mean, I if you want to talk about it now, we can talk about it now. I feel like so. It's I, I feel so like much. the game is kind of a non-factor because MSU goes on a nine-zero run. Um, you know, Matt McQuaid makes a big three with about three thirty left to play, um, and then MSU finishes the game twenty-five to twenty-six from the free throw line. I, you know, those two elements right there—that's what sealed the game away. Um, I, I think Bradley paid played their best possible game. You know, um, their coach Brian Wordle said after the game that. There weren't many teams that would have been able to beat them, and Michigan State happened to be one of them. I think that's true to a certain extent. Like, obviously, the higher seeds you play, the, the more you're going to get of, of that t- caliber type of game. But I think overall, you know, like, they played their hearts out. They played their best game, and Michigan State didn't play a fantastic game at all. Yeah, and the free throw shooting you mentioned, you know, in February 2nd, when Indiana came to East Lansing, um, MSU shot 8 of 22 from the free throw line yeah. and, and lost in overtime. I don't really think they played that differently on yeah. Thursday than they did in that Indiana game, right? But when you make 25 of 26 as opposed to 8 of 22, you're going to look a lot better without anything else changing. And so, yeah, I don't think they played very well, but they made their free throws and they won. They didn't impress anybody, but... Whatever. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where it's like very quickly the first and second rounds can be forgotten if you make up for them later, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Um, but I think the biggest talking point, you know, it, it's not I think. It definitely was the biggest talking point coming out of this game was that moment, um, you know, right about where the under-16 timeout was. Um, it made national news where there was a timeout in the second half, and Izzo just lays in Aaron Henry. We talked about it earlier this week on Snoozecast. Give that a listen. Uh, how about that for a plug? And then, um, you know, Izzo lays into Henry. He was has to be like restrained, pushed back, whatever you want to, whatever terminology you want to use um, by Cassius Winston and Matt McQuaid. And a lot of people thought that he crossed the line. I don't really think so. Um, I, I just think when you're coaching that caliber of talent with somebody like Henry who can play in the NBA one day, um, you're not, you know, you want to get the best out of him. And that may have not been the best way to get through to him, but like it, it's worked plenty other times before. Well, yeah, and, and what people have said, and they're not wrong, is that there are other ways to do it. Yeah, and I, I, I think the biggest difference here is that, like, Izzo isn't a high school coach, isn't, you know, an AAU coach, isn't coaching in, in you know, the lower levels, where if he does that, that's totally unacceptable. Um, but I think you're allowed to be granted that exception when you're coaching at the college level and especially to people that have NBA-type tangibles. Right, yeah, and, and and like I said, I do think I do think there's other ways to do it. It's not how Izzo does it. It's people comparing it to Bob Knight seem kind of silly to me. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I think Bob Knight was scared his players. I don't think that Henry is scared of Izzo, right? I mean, Henry continued to talk back. They disagreed about whatever yeah. they were talking about. And and I mean, you see it constantly where Izzo will get into Kenny Goins for something, even though it's it's after a stretch where he does something right, and it's it's more so like. Izzo enjoys the exchange between the two. Like, you're allowed to push back, per se, like verbally. Um, right, and that's what we saw Draymond Green talk about. Yeah. I mean, a lot of former Spartans reached out and everyone had their take, whether they were a former MSU player, whether they were a former player at another school, whether they were a, a national Deadspin, yeah. a brainer for Deadspin, who may or may not have gone to Michigan, whether you were Scott Van Pelt. I mean, everybody had their take on yeah. it. Because um, I, I think to the greater extent, it put it, it debated about coaching in a whole, like what crosses the line for a coach. And I just think that's variable depending on what level you're at. Yeah, I, I think that it's one of those things where, and, and I mean, Izzo said this, you know, I asked him about it at the press conference the next day. You know, were you surprised by the reaction? And he was like, well, nothing surprises me this day. You know, this day and age, he doesn't really love social media necessarily. He's talked about that before. But I also think that um, I think he was I think he was a little surprised because he's been coaching this way for 20 years. Yeah. And I, I just think it's because they were kind of coaching like that particular spot in the game. It was really sort of make or break, you know, like the game could have gone the other way and they could have ended up losing. Right. And you saw over the weekend, you know, I mean, it's Michigan State fans sort of pulling other clips out of context, which, of course, everything was out of context. But you showed Rick Barnes kind of shoving his player out of the way to yell at somebody. You had Chris Beard at Texas Tech, you know, kind of grabbing his player by the jersey when he was yelling at him. So, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, yes, it could have been handled differently, but that is who Tom Izzo is, and I think that his players love it. You know, I want. And I be... think for for people that are criticizing and saying that it's a part of like a greater toxicity within the program within the university, I just don't think that's the case at all. Yeah, and it's also like you can sort of make a a point about whether 
you should be doing this in general is sort of, I don't know. The way I look at it is, and I want, I want to be at the risk of sounding like just sort of a, an apologist. I don't want to come off that yeah. way. I think it's more about like that coaches and players earn the right to sort of treat each other the way that it happens yeah. based on if it's a two-way equity. street right it's it's a lot more acceptable i think because a, a, a player has a chance to you know grow into an adult and and talk that way back where it becomes a conversation rather than a, a like a scolding or a talking to or like verbal abuse right and they, and and we see it in practice guys cuss at each other yeah. right i mean so it's like you know people have been comparing it to bob knight and it's like bob knight was throwing things at people and yeah. like and he was like punching players yeah and like like his coaches or his players were terrified of him and it's probably his coaches too so you know i don't i don't see that from it from izzo i don't see that from aaron henry certainly i mean yeah. i don't think is i don't think aaron henry's scared of tom izzo so it happened it it was it was wild though that it, it happened it a lot of people talked about it um i don't think many people are talking about it anymore so this is probably the last unless it comes up again um but I, I think the biggest reason he did it was because he didn't want his players to overlook Bradley. And I think that is sort of like the overarching question to take out of this game is does a team look over, you know, a, a low-seeded team? And I think to an extent, yes, because— Right, and we talked about last week how we didn't think Bradley had a chance because of analytical reasons yeah. and the fact that they didn't defend twos well and all these things. So I think Bradley sort of played— like you, like Brian Wardle said, as good as they they couldn't. And uh, Izzo was asked about it at his press conference on Monday, and he was like, you know, when I was growing up, these 13, 14, 15, 16 seeds, they all sucked, yeah, and and they don't anymore. And that, that's going back to a thing that he talked about a lot last year was just the parity in college basketball has increased so much in the last few years, and I think now, um, you know, I think that's why you're seeing so many upsets in March Madness now compared to you know five, ten years ago. Right, not this year as much, but yeah, yeah, as a general as a general rule, right. And then obviously, sort of the ultimate example of that is last year with UMBC beating Virginia, yes. which we were at press on Friday after Bradley after the Bradley game before previewing the Minnesota game, which we'll talk about in a second. We, we were waiting for Tom Izzo and Richard Pitino's press conferences to start, and Chase tells me, "Do you see the score of the Mar- or the Virginia game?" And I go, "No," and you go. Virginia's down by 10, and I'll go, holy crap. They were down by 14 at one point. I was getting I, – I came out of the Minnesota locker room. I was talking to Minnesota players, and I have, like, five texts from people, and they're like, Virginia, it's happening, it's happening. And I was like, no. It's like, the, it's like that Ron Paul gif. <laughs> it's it's happening. Or, like, the Michael Scott, like, okay, guys, it's happening. Well, oh, my God, well, it's happening. What's so – and I was sort of happy for Virginia that it did, that it turned yeah. out the way it did because that – got to shut down the program. I was going to say, like, I, I think Virginia has lost the privilege to be a one seed for a while, you yeah. know? Yeah, they don't handle it yeah. well. You know how people talk about how some teams don't handle success well? So, obviously, you know – Michigan State, Minnesota, they they play each. I think their twenty fourth Big Ten game. That's, yes. Yeah, um, they played in the second round. Michigan State comes away seventy to fifty. Um, I think the the biggest story out of that game is actually from the Minnesota side, where Jordan Murphy was kind of unsure. He he left the game against Louisville on Thursday with some back spasms. Richard Pitino said on the in between day that. He didn't think that there was any possibility. You know, the, it was a very small chance that Jordan Murphy wouldn't be able to play, which maybe leads me to think that 
Jordan Murphy downplayed it to the coaching staff a little bit because he's only able to play in the first four minutes, and then it's very clear that his back is very much a problem. Right, and he couldn't. He couldn't move. So it wasn't a question a question of him asking to come out of the game or anything. Yeah. You know, he was trying to stay in the game, but he was hurting his team because yeah. he couldn't run. Yeah. And it, it definitely changes that game because he's the second leading rebounder in the history of the Big Ten, which is amazing. And Michigan State out-rebounded Minnesota 46-19. to So Xavier Tillman said after the game, it's probably a little different if you have Jordan Murphy in there. It doesn't mean that I don't think Michigan State would have won because I think yeah. they would have, but it put Minnesota in a really tough spot where they ended up going with this sort of strange four-guard lineup that they hadn't run with all year. They were full-court pressing, which was cool to see a Patino press live. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, Minnesota was undermanned, and they just didn't have it. And Michigan State came out on fire. They made seven of their first eight shots. You know, it, the game started with a 14-3 run, and the game was pretty much over after that. Um, there was, though, a, a key part where Minnesota holds Michigan State scoreless like the last 445 or something like that um, into halftime. And then Minnesota goes on this run. They make it a nine-point game with about, what, what was it, 12, 13 minutes left to play? Um, but then Cassius Winston goes on a personal 7-0 run with two just FU jumpers. And then, Three. Well, <laughs> yeah, and the third one being from, you know, beyond the arc, um, and that definitely put the game away for good. Uh, your take? Yeah, well, and you mentioned, we, we mentioned the crowd with Bradley. The crowd on Saturday was, it felt like Minneapolis. Yeah, yeah. When, when given the chance, like during that run, that was the loudest I had heard the Wells Fargo Center um, get throughout the weekend. Definitely, yeah, and 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 that's that was a sort of a mere coffee run. I think he finished with twenty five points. He wasn't the most efficient. Shout out Carson Edwards, but he um, he did make that run. And then Winston, like I said, is the Big Ten Player of the Year for a reason, and twenty fourth Big Ten Game of the Year in the NCAA tournament, just. I mean, I don't know what you say there. Like he, he, he. Not only did he make the two jumpers, he forced two. He made three jumpers. He forced two steals in the middle. Yeah. I mean, it was just like he took over the game. And I know we talk about that a lot. Media members sort of, you know, we want to, at the risk of sounding like a talking head, and being like, "This is what great players do." It was really impressive. It because was because there, there was that was a. It was hanging in the balance there. It could have gone one way or the other, right? If Minnesota cuts it to like four or five, now it's a game for the rest yeah. of the game, right? But Winston did we and do? I, I think here because you know Michigan State ends up winning by twenty that I think a lot of people overlook the fact that MSU had twenty two turnovers, which accounted Oof. for like twenty eight Minnesota points. And so, if Michigan State takes care of the ball and is able to you know deal with the press a little bit better, they end up winning by like thirty or more. Yeah, I think they pretty severely outplayed Minnesota, but there was that stretch where things were looking a little dicey, and the twenty two turnovers. Uh, Thomas doesn't like turnovers, no. and this was this was no exception. He was not pleased with that after the game. So, I mean, obviously they come away with the win. Uh, Louisiana State comes away with a win over Maryland. LSU won the uh, – did they win a share or did they win it outright? They did win it outright because Tennessee lost to Auburn. Yep, yep, yep. So they LSU won the regular season um, SEC championship. And so they come into the tournament as a, as a three seed, so it's going to be 2v3 in Washington, D.C. Um, actually, a, like a pretty equidistant uh, 
you know. Difference. Yeah, in terms of it being like a neutral site game, I'm not really sure how the turnout's going to be. Um, yeah, I don't know either. What's So LSU won the SEC championship outright. I bet their coach is getting a lot of praise, right? Um, you would think, but actually, no. You just got Chuck tested. Will Wade, uh, he was suspended earlier. Was it before the season? It was, or? No, it was right before yeah. the the final game, final game of the regular season. Yeah. And so he's suspended as a part of the NCAA um, you know, corruption scandal with the shoes uh, and, you know, just the whole underbelly. I love that term, underbelly, um, of the, you know, Nike, Adidas giving, basically paying for players as a pipeline to the NBA. Right, and the according to the, which we haven't heard, but they say that the wiretap of him talking to Christian Dawkins, who's the former Adidas executive, who's... Uh, he's been, go, he's been like the main middleman. Right, right. right. Shout out Saginaw. Um was he was discussing a quote strong ass offer for a player and as we know scholarship offers are binary they cannot be stronger yes then one cannot be stronger than another so it's not it's not a great look and he also won't talk which yeah. is odd and so you know it ends up being if LSU can make a run any deeper any wins that they have are most likely going to be vacated I think that's fair to say yeah, maybe. I think Tony Benford's doing a decent job. Oh, he's, he's doing an amazing uh, job. General coach, but they couldn't really figure out that Maryland zone. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, there's obviously differences between Maryland and Michigan State. But I think if they, they have trouble with Maryland's defense, and, you know, it, it seemed like they were playing at the pace of Maryland, too, that if, if you know, because LSU and Michigan State are both very high-scoring teams. Right. Um, I believe, like, 80 points for LSU and like 80 or like 77 or something like that for Michigan State. Um, so it could be like a lot higher scoring, but could also be different because MSU's defense is a lot better than the one that they faced against Maryland. Yeah, I would agree with that. Although I do think one thing that's different is that MSU doesn't have the level of rim protector that Bruno Fernando is. Yeah. But so, you know, they, they, they won 79-77 because Tremont Waters had a game-winning lineup with like 0.5 seconds left or whatever. But they blew a 20 point lead which is not good yeah like yeah. It, that game felt like a blowout early on you know we were watching it um, before we headed to the arena on Saturday and then they just sort of stopped playing that hard and I and and one thing that 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 we've talked about a little bit is the fact that a young team and LSU's young mm-hmm. right Jamal Waters is a sophomore Nas Reed's a freshman yeah. big guy in the middle, middle, those are the probably the two best players. Skylar Mays is a good player, he's a junior, I believe. Um, they're gonna be reliant on their coach more yeah. than an older team. And, and I think, I think you know, you talk about how they allow Maryland to get back into the game, and the thing is, you know, against a team like Michigan State, that's their whole thing is they're gonna run so fast that they're gonna wear you down, and if you can't play a whole forty minutes, it's gonna get ugly. Right, and and also LSU relies heavily on two point, two point shooting, two point basket. You know, they yeah they cannot shoot. They shoot thirty two percent as a team from beyond the arc. So unless they have an uncharacteristic night, they're going to have to win the game inside. And Michigan State obviously has one of the best um, two point defenses in the country, which yeah. is something that Izzo talked about at his press conference on Monday. So that's one thing that I think would concern LSU. Yeah, um, I think one thing concerning Michigan State is. Izzo, in 
great Izzo fashion compared LSU's rebounding ability to, was it the 2000-2001 team, which came off winning a national title? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, the reason is because LSU has the highest offensive rebounding percentage in the country. They crash the boards. You know, I was rewatching their game against Kentucky that they won at Rupp Arena on a tip-in at the buzzer, which may or may not have been offensive goaltending. And they go just everyone crashes the boards every time. It, it, it is interesting, though, because obviously what you give up in that is transition defense. Yeah. But if they get those rebounds at a high level, you know, Michigan State can struggle with that sometimes. Yeah. And I think Michigan State has had a little bit of struggles at getting defensive boards. Right. And so this is going to be a big game for Kenny Goins, who is Michigan State's leading rebounder. It's going to be a big game for Nick Ward, who's probably going to get a lot of time. Right, because uh, this is the kind of matchup with Bigby Williams and yeah. Reed where you'll probably see more Ward than exactly. against Bradley. Um, you know, Xavier Tillman is really good at rebounding. Um, I, he's the, the second leading right. rebounder for MSU. Um, so between that rotation of big guys, because I, I, I think it's clear that you need to play Goins probably at the four. You're going to play a little bit bigger. Um, that's going to be, I think, the, the front court matchup is, is where the game is. And I think the eye candy matchup is Cassius Winston versus Waters. Yeah, that is going to be fun because they're two sort of similar players, um, kind of your classic eyes always up point guards. Yeah. Uh, I really like Waters' game. Um, he He's a he's an all right. I don't know what his percentage is from three, but uh, he's got a nice mid-range jumper, um, sort of your prototypical three-level scorer, and a really, really, really good passer. Waters shooting 32%. All right, so not great. But uh, he's he can score at the basket, and he's got a nice mid-range jumper. And, um, and I like that matchup offensively. For both teams, I do wonder whether Michigan State will put Aaron Henry on him or they'll put Matt McQuaid. Because I think I think that's an interesting question, right? Because they put Henry on Amir Coffey. Yes. Which I think was a little bit surprising. And I think we're seeing now that Aaron Henry is probably the best defensive guard MSU has right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think McQuaid I think, had the better season maybe. Yes. And I think maybe it is because they're playing Henry, you know, his his season is crescendoing, and I think McQuaid is hitting his plateau. Well, and, and McQuaid's run out of gas. Exactly. Like, he's averaging 30-plus minutes a game, like more 32, 33 yeah. minutes a game. Yeah. Um, and so I think just Henry being more fresh, he's able to move around a little quicker. But I think having this five-day stretch where they're not playing is going to be, you know, my, like – unspeakably huge for Michigan State. Yeah. Both teams, are like, obviously. Both teams, yeah, but LSU lost in the first round of the conference tournament. Yeah. So they had been off. They had a week off in between. They lost on Friday mm-hmm. of their conference tournament week and then didn't play till Thursday in Jacksonville, whereas Michigan State had only Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday off after playing three straight days. LSU didn't play consecutive days because they lost on the first possible day, right? So they... They didn't have that built-up fatigue that Michigan State had. Um, yeah, I, I, I think this is an interesting matchup, although, like I said, like we've been talking about, I think the issue for LSU is that they probably won't win this game from three-point range. Exactly, and I think that's what they're going to have to do um, yeah. to, to come away with it. I was on Jacob Hester's show, um, ESPN Radio, down in Baton Rouge, 
Uh, and he was asking me about, you know, what do I think is going to happen? Michigan State opened as a six, six or six-and-a-half-point favorite. Um, I don't know. It, I, it could be a little closer than that. I think Michigan State ends up winning the game um, just for the reasons that we talked about earlier. Um, but, I mean, what say you? Yeah, I, I would agree. I think the only um, the only pu- uh, the only chance, not the only chance, but but one thing that could stop Michigan State and could propel LSU forward is Nas Reed, and particularly Nas Reed bringing whether it's Tillman or Ward or Goins away from the basket. Now, the percentage isn't great for Reed, but he will shoot the three, and if he is hot from three, that does change things, right? Yeah. And so, and so I think that he's sort of the X factor, not just inside, but if he can bring the defense outside and bring that rim, prote- rim protection away. Yeah, because then you get the mismatch of, um, who's their other big guy? Bigby Williams. Yeah, I mean, the mismatch between him and Goins, and uh, Bigby Williams is like almost a seven-footer. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's that's going to be a big thing to watch. Um, but the possible implication, and I, I, I think another thing that, Neither team can look forward. You know, they can't overlook this game with the possibility of what's going to happen Sunday, which, um, you know, is the possibility of playing Duke for a chance at the Final Four. Right. Uh, Now, Duke does play Virginia Tech on Friday. Yes. And they've lost to Virginia Tech this year. And they almost lost to Central Florida. Shout out to the Ross family, um, who you know, took it right down to the wire, but they couldn't hold on to it because of, you know, a, a string of three errors in the last minute or so. Um, and that has to be the most heartbreaking loss for UCF ever, right? Well, I would say the most heartbreaking loss for UCF was probably when they lost the chance to play Alabama. Yes. But this basketball-wise. Yes, I would say definitely. Um, yeah, <laughs> UCF, I mean, they they they, they, they could have gone up six, and then it ends up being a five point Duke swing because they miss the a lob. showboating lob yeah. um, for an alley oop, and then and Reddish then, hits the three. Reddish hits the three, yeah. and then Williamson goes to the line, uh, misses both, but then they don't box out, and so Duke grabs the 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 offensive rebound, and then at the buzzer they miss two two tries to for a layup to win. And I, you know, you can't talk about the layup as that's what changed. Like that was the difference. You know, obviously it went in and out, and that's very unfortunate. But that wasn't. You know, it was the two plays before that is what what did it. Yeah, I I wonder how many times if you replay those last two minutes, Duke actually wins because I think UCF did just about everything right going leading yeah. up to that. Um, I think the real thing that you got to look at though is how UCF was in that position in the first place and how teams that are probably more talented than UCF can exploit that in the future and the way is uh dare duke to shoot threes yeah trey jones 25% three point shooter jordan goldwire 13% three point shooter so these are guys that if MSU does play duke i'd be interested to see what how Izzo handles that because now they don't have Taco Fall, obviously, but UCF pretty much just parked Taco Fall in front of the basket and he was guarding Trey Jones. Yeah. But obviously Trey Jones being on the perimeter. So they were just 
inviting wide open threes from bad shooters. And I wonder whether Michigan State would go to something that drastic because if you can pack the paint against Duke because they don't have any really consistent three-point shooters, Reddish is supposed to be that guy. He's a good shooter, but he's been inconsistent. Barrett's inconsistent. Williamson isn't a very good shooter. Jones is terrible. Goldwire's terrible. And Alex O'Connell can't defend well enough to be on the floor right now. And Jack White's uh, hurt. And Duke so, is also a very young team, you know. Very, mostly, very, very young Mostly team. freshmen. And I, I think you're maybe seeing that they're kind of wearing down at this point in the season from a mental standpoint. Yeah, I would be I would be interested to see what happens against Virginia Tech because Virginia Tech has a guy like Kerry Blackshear that can um, stretch out their bigs. He can shoot and put it on the on the floor in the post. And, and they didn't have Williamson in the first game, but – uh, Virginia Tech didn't have Justin Robinson in that game, who's their best player and their point guard. So, and Virginia Tech won, and they were the better team for 40 minutes. So, I wonder how that game in DC will go. And that's the late game. So, Michigan State and LSU will already know whether they've made it or not. But I think that the biggest takeaway from yesterday, I think the biggest takeaway from from Sunday is that Duke is beatable. And I think that's something that maybe we didn't think was the case. Yeah, I think going into the tournament, I mean, it was Zion Fest. You know, CBS set up a Zion cam for the tournament. Um, He was really good. We should mention he had 32 points. Yes, yes. And And I mean, he's clearly the best player in the NCAA. Let's, Let's not make no mistake about it. No, Cassius Winston is the best player in the NCAA, right? Hey, stop that. That's being mean. Um, so, I, you know, only time will tell what's going to happen um, right now. We, we can only predict so much, and we're dumb. So we're, we might not even be good at it. That's true. Don't coach my team. So anyway, we've been going on for like a half hour now. I feel like it's time to wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, we got to get in the car. Yeah, we do. We, had, we have uh, at least a nine-hour drive ahead of us. Yeah, I mean, why would we fly when we can drive? Get those get those driver points. That's driving miles. Is that a thing? You've heard of frequent flyer miles. Have you ever heard of frequent driving miles? That was a really dumb joke. But we do get those sweet Marriott points. Oh, the state news does. We don't. We we don't. But those Marriott points they add up. Anywho, uh, you know, listen to all of our illustrious coverage um, going down the road. And then you can always find us on Twitter um, at TSNCast and at TSNews underscore sports on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash State News and always online at StateNews.com. You can follow our personal accounts at Casey underscore Harrison 1 and at Chase Marino 13. Tune in next week when we preview the third and final round, the final four round of the NCAA tournament. It's Monday afternoon. Where's your news? It's on Snoozecast, where the state news takes an in-depth look at the biggest stories while bringing new perspectives from the reporters who wrote them. Check us out every Monday afternoon on the State News Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Matt Schmucker. I'm Jameson Draper. If you're looking for some new music to listen to, or maybe even some piping hot music takes, then check out our podcast, Snoozic, airing every other Tuesday on the State News Podcast Network.